Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. For those of you that were with us last week, you may recall we had a potter up here on stage throughout Pastor David's message. She took a lump of clay just like that, and over the course of about 30 minutes, turned it into something beautiful like this. Now this, by the way, is still not finished. It still needs to be tried again. It needs to be painted. But I can tell because I'm so up close to it right now, there are unique lines in this that you will never find in another jar like this ever again. The potter last week, she uniquely expressed herself through this very thing, just like God does with us. God uniquely forms and fashions our lives where we start off looking like this. Right now, a lot of us look like this, but we're still unfinished in light of what he wants to do in our lives. This is the way it's expressed over in the book of Jeremiah. It says right here in 18, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. God says, I'm like your potter. I'm taking your clay in all of its goodness and all of its brokenness, and I'm shaping into something unique and brand new that I want to use. I want to invite you to turn over the book of Jeremiah chapter 20, or else turn on your device and go over to Jeremiah chapter 20, and that's where we're going to hang out today. While you're turning over there, back many years ago, there was a guy by the name of Howard Hendricks that really impacted my life. He was a seminary at uh, Dallas Seminary. And this is what Howard Hendricks used to do with his students at the beginning of each semester. He would draw a funnel like this. He said, all the X's of the top here represent what you can do. He said, but what you want to get at is what is the one thing that you must do. He said, listen, the more successes you experience in life, the more you're going to fill up the top of that funnel and end up missing the one thing that you must do. He made this very interesting statement. He said, most opportunities are distractions in disguise. He said, so find the one thing that you must do. Today we're going to see that in the prophet Jeremiah. He knew what his God-given call was, but he was deeply, deeply challenged with it. Had lots of challenges. I mean, this is what we all wrestle with. Who we've become and who God designed us to be are often two very different people. Again, Jeremiah is a perfect example of that. So here's some versions of us. There's, first of all, there's the me that others want me to be. You've ever had that experience? The me others want me to be? Many of you recall Simone Biles a couple of months ago, probably uh, the best gymnast in all of history. She was competing for the U.S. team, but she ended up backing out. She was very distraught, very emotional, and she said this, I realize now I have done these games because of the expectations other people have for me. It wasn't necessarily the best thing for me, the me that others want me to be. I know what that's like. Based upon expectations that I've absorbed from other people over the years, there are many times I thought, I'm not doing enough. How about you? Then there's the me that I want to be. The me that I want to be, where I tend to project myself and go, this is who I am, this is who I want to be. So let me give you a picture of the very person that I actually want to be, okay? So 
Here's Bear Grylls, and you're very familiar with him. He's like the epic adventure of all time. He's amazing. Every time I watch his shows, I go, I want to be Bear. Now, I know some of you are going, wait a minute, David. I thought you'd want to be like Jesus. Well, I do, but I want to be like Bear Grylls because I know for a fact he has Jesus in his heart, okay? So that's really where I want to go with that. A few years ago, actually about 10 years ago, I actually bought uh, an official Bear Grylls knife. I mean, it's really big like this. Now, I've never used it, but just having possession of it made me feel more like Bear. See, many of us aren't really sure what our true selves are, and we often will cultivate an image that we think will make us be presented better. I, again, I've done that. And then the third version is the me that God wants me to be. The me that God wants me to be. These things are always in competition for this. These lesser versions of ourselves are constantly challenged by this. So Jeremiah was clear on what God had called him to do. Over in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he said, I've put your words in my mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now you may go, Man, that sounds like a pretty rough calling. Well, what God had recognized was there were a number of things that were sabotaging the nation of Israel from really becoming all that God had designed them to be. So he wanted Jeremiah, part of his unique calling, was to tear down some of the things that were sabotaging it in order that God could raise up something brand new. We're currently in a series that we're just simply calling Dream Again. It's based upon a part of the life of Jeremiah. And last week, Pastor David did a fantastic job of helping us see how each one of our lives are a one-of-a-kind divine design, and there's a divine destiny. And Jeremiah himself is an example of that. Mark Twain said this one time, he said, the two most important days in your life are this, the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. As we live out our God-given calling, should expect some challenges. Here in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, we catch the prophet. He's in a crisis of calling with what's going on. He's done his best to live in this one-of-a-kind divine design and the one thing that God wanted him to do. But he's angry with God. He's just absolutely chapped with God because his life, he finds himself here in uh, Jeremiah 20, he is locked up in the city gate in stocks like this because he was constantly pushing against the status quo. And so it's right there in that context, Jeremiah gives words to this right here. He said, you've deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. Now, by the way, God hadn't deceived him, but that's the way it emotionally felt to him, as we often have been in our own positions. You deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me, Lord, and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. You can feel the rejection and the resistance that he's been absorbing. He goes on, he says, whenever I speak, I crap proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Then he says, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his words are like a fire in my heart, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. This is really a significant moment in his life. Jeremiah's been calling for reform. He's been calling for change in the midst of all the hypocrisy and idolatry that were going on at that time. 
And he's calling for change and he's calling for people to move to a different place. But because of the rejection, the resistance he's experienced, then all of a sudden he's in the middle of a crisis of calling. Verses 7 to 10, they invite us into Jeremiah's struggle. Those were pretty intense words, weren't they? I love that the scripture doesn't sanitize a part of what Jeremiah was feeling. He was angry at God. He was angry at what life was becoming. He wanted to completely give up on his call. But again, he turns around and he says in verses 9 and 10, in fact, I like it here in the message translation as well, he says, but if I say forget it, no more God messages from me, the words are fire in my belly, a burning in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it any longer. Have you ever been excited about what you perceive to be your life call? And then all of a sudden, you kind of begin to doubt it because of some challenging circumstances? A couple of weeks ago, uh, Crone and myself, we went over to visit one of our grandsons, Judah. He's just turned five years of age. And uh, he's just moved into kindergarten. So we went over, he was about eight days into kindergarten. And uh, we went over and we said, hey, Jude, tell us about your school. Tell us about your friends. So we went through all that. And we finally asked him, so what about your teacher? This is what he literally said. Well, she started off really energetic, but now not so much. <laughs> she, she started off energetic, now not so much. She's only eight days in. Imagine eight months later <laughs> what this thing could look like. See, our only problem is when you and I know deep down what's really true about our lives and our calling, we're going to experience challenges like that. It's going to be what we're going to feel is like a fire in our bones. It's got to come out. So what's the specific fire of the calling that God's placed in you? When we think about calling, I think about two different categories of calling. There's common calling and special calling. What we all have in common, we've all been given the same calling to honor God and to help other people. True? That's what we all have in common. But then there's also a special calling that's unique to you and to me. It's how we're supposed to go about and where we're supposed to be able to, be able to demonstrate this in honoring God in unique ways and then helping others in others. I love what it says over in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Don't you love that language? The very word holy, though, has nothing to do with perfection. The word holy literally means to be set apart for a specific purpose. That's why you're holy. God has designed and made you and breathes himself in and out of you every day because he's got a one-of-a-kind divine design on your life. It goes on and he says this. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. You, right now, at this stage of your life, you are part of this grand story, this grand design that God has so that you can uniquely express and he, where he's working out in you and in me with everything and everyone using the way that he's formed and fashioned us. That's why I think there's a reason why the Apostle Paul later on in the New Testament says this. He says, don't be weary 
and well-doing. For in due time, if you don't give up, if you don't collapse in the midst of the struggle of it, you're going to reap a harvest that you would have never imagined before. See, a true sense of calling will call us to do the one thing that we must do. To me, the only thing that's worse than suffering in life is not having a life that's worth suffering for. Is there anything right now in your life, in your call, and what you perceive to be your purpose that is worth suffering for? Here's something that's been helpful to me. I just call it a sweet spot tool. And it really helps us identify our God-given passions, God-given abilities, and, and context. And this is a great tool that I've used with myself and with other people over the years where we were able to prayerfully examine what are the passions that God's formed and forged through our narratives, through our story. What are the God-given abilities, our competencies that we're really best at? How about our context? How does God want to combine my passion, my abilities into where my impact can be greatest? And it has to do with context right there. Right in the middle of that is your sweet spot. Right in the middle of that is not the many things you can do, but what's found there is the one thing that you must do. Jeremiah is absolutely clear. Speaking God's words are no longer something merely he can do. It's something he must do. Again, verse 9, his word is like fire shut up in my bones. But it's also really difficult to talk about calling without talking about passion. It's difficult to talk about your passion in your life without talking about pain. Because it's actually in the pain and the challenges of our life that acts as an incubator for what God wants to grow in and through us. The very word passion means to suffer. It means to be acted upon. Not exactly a word any of us are looking for or volunteering for. But that's where we get the phrase, the passion of the Christ. Jesus was living out his unique one-of-a-kind calling, which I'm telling you every one of us has as well. But in the midst of it, he experienced a lot of suffering. He didn't think, well, maybe I've missed my calling. Maybe I should have been doing something else. See, passion is a conviction. It's a conviction within us that really becomes contagious in every single way. It's a conviction that becomes contagious because it withstands the test of pain. As you live out your God-given calling, you're going to have times and seasons where pain is going to test you. But remember, as you live out your God-given uh, calling, you're going to experience some challenges, but God will see you through it. Listen to Jeremiah's confidence, even in the midst of the challenges. Go on to verse 11 there. He says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced, and their dishonor will never be forgotten. See, these are the deep convictions that motivated Jeremiah. He had clarity on what his call was, but now he needed God to come along and confirm it. I love what's said here in verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. That's important. So again, let me ask you, what is it that God has uniquely called you to do? Where are you feeling the challenge of it? If you don't live into that, you're going to have the experience of it's like fire shut up in your bones. Back in 2008, there was a horrific earthquake in China that measured 8.0 on the Richter scale, and tens of thousands of people's lives were lost. 
and buildings collapsed, school buildings, homes, and this is a picture of a part of the devastation of it. What caught my attention was later out of this incident, I read about a young boy by the name of Lynn Howe. He was nine years of age, he was in the second grade, and he was walking down the halls of the school with his friends when all of a sudden just the walls, the building uh, collapsed. It initially knocked him unconscious. And after a while, he regained consciousness, and he crawled through the rubble, and he crawled out. But then he looked around, and he went, where are my two friends? He realized they were still back in there. So he crawls back into the rubble, and he ends up finding both of them and squirming them out, just like he had done with himself. When, when the reporter said, why did you go back into that rubble? He said, because I'm the hall monitor. It's my job. <laughs> I mean, he took his calling seriously. I'm the hall monitor. What else should a hall monitor be doing? They should be able to crawl back into that. When I think about that, I think each one of us, we could choose to live our lives outside of the brokenness and the rubble of the world in which God's placed us. Or else we may embrace our calling. What we can choose to do is to go back into the rubble. But when we do that, we'll risk pain, we'll risk rejection, we'll risk being caught in the aftershocks of this broken world. But I'm telling you, when we're motivated by our calling, we step into a broken world and we bring a new dimension of beauty from the kingdom of God in and through our lives. I'm convinced that's what he's calling all of us to uniquely do, to make something or someone beautiful again. The Bible calls that restoration. Now, if you're still fuzzy and like, David, I, I, I need some help. I'm not sure what my one thing is that I must do. I'm aware of all the other things. Well, we've got a workshop coming up just a few weeks from now, and it's Calling 101. It'll help you discover what God's unique design is for you and to be able to name that one thing. I'm going to be leading it, and some other people are going to be a part of it. And if you're interested in that, you just text the word workshops to 40777, and we'll get you plugged into that. The big thought from Scripture today is as we, you and I live out our calling, we should expect some challenges. More than 30 years ago, uh, my wife, Corone, myself, we moved up to Vancouver, British Columbia to start a church from scratch. We had never been to Canada a day in our lives, but uh, we had found out that it was the second most unchurched city in North America. So we decided to move there and plant a church. So we went up there and we got acquainted with 10 people. We started with 10 people in a home, and then we moved them from a home eventually into a school. And uh, we wanted to help reach people that wouldn't be caught dead in their own coffin inside of a church. So that was the passion. That was a part of the calling that God had given us. But it was hard. It was really hard. First of all, we were separated by more than 4,000 miles from our family, from all of our friends. Plus, things are just different in the culture of Canada. They celebrate Thanksgiving in October. That's just not American, wouldn't you agree? Okay? They, they don't talk about uh, napkins. They talk about serviettes. Where we lived, they didn't measure how many inches of rain had accumulated during the month. They measured how many hours of sunshine that were there. They didn't have Monday night football. They had hockey night in Canada on Monday night, which again is un-American, okay? And uh, we got one hockey fan that was trying to give it out right there. It was hard. 
It was hard. I remember about two years into all of this, Corona and I, one night on our date, we went to downtown Vancouver. There's a place called Stanley Park. Just think Central Park. And we were both really, really discovered. I mean, we were very, very discouraged. And so we were walking along this park. It was a typical Vancouver evening. It was lightly drizzling. There was a fog bank in there. You could barely see around. And all of a sudden, we happened upon a stone ledge. And we'd been walking for a while, so we just sat down there on that ledge. And for the next hour or so, we just held each other and we just wept because it was hard. We were beginning to question whether or not we were living out God's calling. If so, why is it so darn difficult? But after an hour or so, we ended up praying together. We recommitted ourselves that, yes, this indeed, for this season of our life, this was God's unique calling on our lives. About a year later, we went back to Stanley Park and we were walking around and we happened upon that place where we cried and wept and had a crisis of our own calling. But now it's daytime and it's clear as a bell. And here was the name of that place that we were sitting on. It's called Hallelujah Point. Wow. It's like God puts his exclamation point and goes, you have been at the right place. I'm letting, I'm just affirming just my power, my presence in and through your lives, even in the midst of all the difficulties of it. What's unbelievable is more than 30 years later, we're in contact with a lot of those people that came to Christ and were discipled in being followers of Jesus. Just last year, we were with a number of them. They had a dinner party for us when we were up in Vancouver. And they point back to that time that so deeply impacted their life. They said, it's changed their trajectory, and it still has today. We were like, I'm glad we found Hallelujah Point, and we didn't give up on it. So how about you? Where are you feeling a crisis in confidence or in your calling? Maybe you just need some new clarity. You're aware of all the many things that you can do, but you're wanting to find the one thing you must do. God wants to bring a new level of clarity to you around that, and then he wants to turn around and confirm it. But remember, all along in the process, this is what we've got going on. He's taking us like this, and he's turning us into something like this. And even now, with this being unfinished, that's a picture and a representation of what's true with each one of us. He's still forming and fashioning. And every once in a while, we break down as clay breaks down in the hands of a potter. But what God will do is continue to shape us and mold us so that he can turn us into difference makers for the kingdom of God here in the kingdom of this world. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, when we think much about it, most of us are just pretty darn stunned. The fact that you would have a unique purpose for our lives, a unique calling for us. Lord, I thank you that your unique calling, your most special calling is not for people that are pastors or missionaries. It's for everyone in their unique walk of life and vocation you've called them into. Lord, I ask that in all of us, you would burn a further fire and picture on the inside of us of what it means to take the one thing that you've given us to do and to crawl back into the rubble of a broken world. We can't wait to see what you're going to do next in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.